Hello and welcome again to another episode of our program, Develop. It is our absolute honor and privilege to have you with us today as we continue our exploration in a brand new series that we entitled Revival. Revival, out of this world move of God. And this is part two. You might be wondering, why are we so fired up about revival? And I guess revival is our only solution to whatever is going on in the world and whatever is going on in the prevailing and the prevalent Christian cultures, in especially in our Western world. If you have been reading any statistics or checking out the census, you will realize that there is a steep decline in Christianity. And in our own nation here in Australia, there has been a decline of 30% over the last 50 years. And the uh, forecasting of what might happen in the next 10 or so years is not very good news. What I guess sometimes frustrates and concerns uh, many people that want to see God honored and esteemed is the brand of Christianity that is neither effective or attractive for the world outside the Christian circles. So it's not any wonder that there is no attraction to what is being lived out by some Uh, people who call themselves Christians. And if you survey uh, the landscape, you realize there are three prevalent uh, uh, Christian brands and cultures uh, that, that we can easily observe and discern. The first one is what we call you know, called churchianity. It's a, a churchism, really, where there is such devotion to religious activities and religious rituals and involvement in the church, whether as a volunteer, as a leader, or just a, a church goer, where it feels like because I am affiliated with a church, that's all that God wants from me. And, uh, and that becomes a type of Christianity that has departmentization of life. We have secular and spiritual. But the reality is that's not the type of Christianity that Jesus died and rose again to introduce to planet Earth. And the second brand of Christianity you could call the cognitive brand of Christianity, where we believe Christianity is just some sort of assertions and beliefs and, and doctrines that we absorb and we share and memorize. And as long as we've memorized them, as long as we have some understanding of these uh, beliefs and doctrines, we feel like we're living them out. You know, what else is Christianity but a knowledge of, of some of those uh, big beliefs and assertions uh, that we hold in our Christian circles? Uh, but we understand that's been impacted by modernity, where we consider ourselves as thinking things rather than people who live a certain way of being in the world. 
And then the third brand of Christianity that you'll probably be familiar with uh, is the brand of consumerism, where what's in it for me type of uh, drive and type of motivation prevails in most Christian environments. And we try to create an environment where it's going to attract people because they see the benefits and the features and the camera light action. And, 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 and even uh, some Christian environments, their entire goal is to attract people, is to uh, grow in numbers. And uh, growing numbers is a good thing as long as it's the right type of living that's being promoted. Uh, and, and that's potentially something uh, that prevailed in the Western world where almost like the American dream is being sprinkled with enough Christianity, with enough Bible to make it look Christian. But some of us, and maybe you're watching this because of a deep desire to that you want to see Jesus esteemed and the church revived again and Christian walk the, the, the talk and, and experience wholehearted Christianity that honors Jesus and blesses those people around us and creates a different vision of human flourishing or what it's like to live life to the absolute best that God has for us since He created us to be on His image. And we believe uh, through the, the history of God's people throughout all centuries that when God comes and sweeps a reason, the church is revived and the lost are attracted to Jesus and communities are transformed. We, we've been saying that revival can be defined simply as a supernatural presence of the Holy Spirit in and through the church to transform whole communities. It starts with the church. It doesn't start outside the church. God transforms His people first because He's always worked through His people. That's why He started the whole nation of Israel because they were going to be the agent through which God was going to reach the entire world, every other nation. So God wants to work on the Christians. And the first thing about revival, it, there is an awakening to the church, to the Christians, to the people who will call themselves followers of Jesus. But then there is a resurrection to the lost and eventually there is a transformation in the community, in the way we see things, in, in our ethics, in our interactions, in our aspiration, in our social endeavors. You know, the world becomes governed the community becomes governed uh, by the law of Jesus and esteems the love of Jesus and lives under the direction of Jesus and if you have experienced uh, any of the research that's been happening uh, uh, recently you realize that the, the reality is that Christians live in such a way that is not so different from the world and that's why we need an awakening. Look at some of these stats that you may be familiar with. It says that the percentage of men viewing pornography is the same whether the person is a Christian or non-Christian. They say violence, drugs, and alcohol abuse have the same prevalence among Christians and non-Christians. One in four Christians are living together 
outside marriage. 60 to 80% of young people leave church in their 20s. One in five who consider themselves born again Christians, people who feel like they're real Christians, have no biblical worldview. And even some of them do not believe that Jesus lived a sinless life. Only 16% of regular church attenders. Hear this, 16% of regular church attenders read their Bible daily. 37% of regular church attenders say that the Bible has absolutely no influence or makes no difference in the way they live their life. Those statistics, empirical data, primarily done in the U.S., gives us some concern of the state of Christianity and the prevailing culture. And I understand if you're a Christian living amongst people who love Jesus, sometimes you take it for granted that everything is going well, but you should celebrate what God is doing and the move of the Spirit in your midst. But if you're a Christian who is surrounded by these brands of Christianity, it becomes so normal that you look at me and you say, what do you want? You know, what have you had for dinner last night? Why are, you, why are you so tense about it? This is just normal. You're just making a big fuss out of nothing. And that's why we need an awakening. Because when we are slumbering in our own brand of Christianity, we need a spirit awakening. And that spirit awakening, we can experience and see some signs of it from the story of Elijah that we looked at, began looking at last episode. We, we, we learned that Elijah came on the uh, he, pages of history unannounced. He came in and in his name is that my God is Jehovah, that he's committed to God. He came at a time where the spiritual conditions of Israel was so deteriorating. The worst and wicked, most wicked king, King Ahab, seventh king in the northern kingdom of Israel, and his wife Jezebel had introduced the worship of Baal. Worse than that, they were encouraging God's people to either worship Yahweh or worship Baal or worship both. Sounds familiar that we have created an environment where we can worship God and you worship everything else. We don't say we worship, but truly the one we love, the one that derives our desire is the one that we really worship, even though we'll be too embarrassed to say what we actually do worship as Christians. But the reality is this, Elijah comes in and confronts the kingdom of darkness. And he says to Ahab, the wicked king, he says to him, listen, there will be no rain and no dew until I say so. And then this huge environment, this huge public, uh, I guess, public confrontation must have threatened Ahab because he didn't think that, that Elijah was someone that can slap him, uh, you know, wake up, what are you on about, just or kill him or threaten him. No, it seemed that his words were so authoritative that Ahab couldn't do anything about it. And here is a beginning, the beginning of a brand new era that Elijah was going to launch over compromising Israel. 
So what would you imagine if Elijah represents the true people of God, if Elijah represents, you know, that church, what would you be doing with this big public confrontation? I bet if it's in our era, we'll be taking photos and putting it on Instagram and we get new ads, Google ads, and we'll tell the world, get this man a huge stage, get the, you know, the word out there, they're going to be something huge, you know, just watch out. But that's not what happened. Look how God works to awaken, awaken His people and Elijah becomes an example for us of what the signs of people of God when they are awakened with a move of the Spirit. Look at what it says in 1 Kings chapter 17 immediately after that confrontation. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, Leave here, <laughs> turn eastward, and hide in Kerith Ravine, east of the Jordan. Can you believe that? God, as soon as a big hit was about to happen, God doesn't even give him a little bit of time to, you know, enjoy the experience, the limelight, you know, Elijah, Elijah, Elijah. No, there was no such thing. Elijah was quickly taken away from the public arena to the place of aloneness, and obscurity again where he came from. Why is that? Why does God ask him to move from uh, you know, this public place and, and go to Kareth where God tells him? He says, you will drink from the brook and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. Let me tell you something. If I, you know, called you and I said, hey, listen, I just had a prophetic image. I, I had a prophetic word from God. He said, if you go into this secluded place all by yourself, all in the desert, uh, he will send you ravens to feed you and he's, he's going to create, you know, a, a, a provision for you. Would you listen and obey? You'll tell me, what's wrong with you? Like, am I going to listen to that? There is no way. There's, there is no way I'm going to take this trick. But Elijah obeyed and did exactly what God told him. And he stayed in that place of seclusion and that place of aloneness with God. Why? Because an awakened church an awakened group of Christians, an awakened soul seeks first obedience-oriented intimacy. All that Christian seeks first is an intentionality in their intimacy with God. They want to be around God. They want to be in proximity. God is so valuable that they want to connect with Him above all the other ministries and the public persona and the project and the assignments that come from God. And that's what God did to, to, in, uh, to Israel in the book of Hosea, where they were seen as people who were unfaithful to God, compromising to God. They were like a bride that committed adultery on her husband. And God says this to them. That's the healing that God has for the uncompromising and unfaithful people of God. He says, therefore, 
I am now going to allure her. That's the bride that represents the people of God. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. And then a couple of verses later there. There in the wilderness, she will respond as in the days of her youth. In that day, declares the Lord, you will call me my husband. You will no longer call me my master. Hosea 2, 14 to 16. Can you see? God allures. That means God tricks. God takes his people away to a place where they're in the wilderness, where there is no other attraction, where there is no other distraction. When God is front and center and there and only there, does He rekindle their affection? Does He rekindle their love that they intimately love on Him again? And they call Him my lover, my husband, my faithful one. Friends, the first thing a revived church would be awakened to is intimacy. The church falls in love again with Jesus. The, fall, the church falls in love again with Jesus, not with itself, not with its programs, not with its reputation, not with its growth, not with its whatever you want to call it. But when a group of Christians, the gathered ones, first and foremost begin to live for God because they love Him, the church is awakened. The church is awakened. Let me share the first principle. Falling in love with an out-of-this-world God precedes rising in power for an out-of-this-world move. Falling in love with God comes before rising in power for a revival. We have to fall in love with Jesus again. We have to live life back in the same way we started with Him. Because it's a rendezvous, a spiritual attraction to a lover that deserves loving Him with our whole heart, our whole mind, our whole soul, our whole affection, our whole might. Love your God with every fiber of your being. The second sign of an awakened church, you, it, it comes again from the same passage, 1 Kings 17. God says, You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So Elijah did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kirith ravine east of the Jordan and stayed there. Kirith. The word kirath actually means the place of cutting down. Fancy that. The place of cutting down. This is the place where we are cut down to size, refined from our self-agendas and rescued from our self-importance. God takes Elijah from the public arena. He places him in the kirath ravine, which means I'm going to cut you to size again. I'm going to keep you feeling valued in me, not valued in other things around you. The reality is this. If you focus too much, Elijah, 
on the public arena. If you focus too much on what will happen as a result of the power and the courage and the authority that I've given you, you're going to use me, not going to love me. And there in that brook, we learn the second sign of an awakened church, awakened to humility. The church lives selflessly for Jesus. It sounds oxymoron, but have you read the book of Revelation? And have you read that Christians can actually leave God outside the door because they're living for their own purposes? And I don't mean the church as an institution because there are so many God-honoring, amazing institutions that love and live for God. I talk about Christians. Christians who are called by the name of Jesus and they don't necessarily live for God's agenda. Even in ministry, sometimes we find ourselves living for our agendas and using God as a tool. Here it is. How we discover an awakening to humility is by discovering our value in God. Can you see when we first experience intimacy with God? We realize our value in God, that we're cherished, we are precious, we are loved, we are adored. We're more valuable than we could ever be. And therefore, as a result of that, we're not looking for people to scratch our backs. We're not looking for our own agendas. We feel so valued by God. We're not looking to be valued by anything else. And that's what happens in the, in, in the brook of humility. My joy comes from being valued by God, not simply valuable for God. Valued by God, even in the brook. Valuable for God. Well, God, you need to keep me there in front of Ahab and Jezebel having finished the work. And God was saying to Elijah and to every God-honoring person that gets revived by the power of the Spirit, listen. Your value is not dependent on your achievement. Your value is not dependent on how people, you know, give you a price tag. Your value is not by the way you perform. Your value is right in the heart of your heavenly father. He paid blood for you and me. And when we discover our value in God, we're no longer looking for value in anything else. The first thing an awakened church is a church that loves God from the heart. It falls again in love with Jesus, a church of intimacy, a group of people that live in intimacy with God. The second one is the group of people that live in humility in the world. And this is the third one that we understand from the story of Elijah. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. I want to tell you something. Elijah was there having a luxury meal every day, morning and night. My goodness, he must have put a little bit of weight. Morning and night having bread and meat whilst most people experiencing drought. That's pretty crazy. Look at the first class treatment that God has of his awakened bride. You know, when, when we say about 
being awakened and revived. It doesn't mean that you're going to live life like a defeated, you know, somber human. You are being treated like an absolute royalty. You're getting bread, uh, you're getting meat and, and bread every morning and every night. But look at, this is God's supernatural provision. Look at what if Elijah had someone in the world looking after him, even if it's a known person. Look at this verse in the same story. It says, while Jezebel, that is Ahab's wife, was killing off the Lord's prophets other than Elijah, Obadiah, he's a palace administrator, had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in the two caves, 50 in each cave and had supplied them. So he did a good thing to hide these prophets and supplied them with what? Bread and water. A guy in the palace, a guy in the royal palace could only supply bread and water and they would have loved him supremely. But the man of God who's experienced intimacy and humility is living on the luxury of meat and bread, not bread and water. You see what happens, friends? The people of God that are revived understand the miracle working God. They experience the miraculous. You know, in Psalm 72, this is what it says. Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel who only does wondrous things, who only does wondrous things. You could read it as he alone does wondrous things. That means he's the only one that can do that. He's the only one that can get a raven that would steal your food to bring you food morning and evening. Not, nobody has that discipline, but ravens did. <laughs> and, and not only that, that they supplied him with amazing food. God is saying, I might be the only one that does that. Or I might, the only thing I do is wondrous things. Don't expect God just to do the mundane. Sometimes we pray and we ask God to do what we could ourselves do. Or we ask God to do what Obadiah would have done. Somebody in influence like, God, a little bit of bread and water would be awesome. And God says, nah. I wouldn't give you bread and water. I'm going to give you bread and meat morning and night because you are a child of mine. You're awakened to your value and you're awakened to your precious value in God's eyes. Look at that, friends. The third sign of an awakened church is awakened to the miraculous. The church, I mean the people of God, experience the power of Jesus once again. And because they're no longer doing it so they can appear, you know, uh, you know, that they God's gift to earth, they have they have gone to the brook of no self-agenda or self-importance. Now God can release his power because it will only result in his glory. I believe with every fiber of my being, that's the church. That's the group of people that God is desperately looking for to unleash over our world. Look at what Isaiah said in Isaiah 6. He says, arise, shine. That's to the people of God. Arise, shine for your light has come. It's ready. 
and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. God is ready to rise in His glory over His people. See, darkness covers the earth. And we would say amen to that. We know that. And thick darkness is over the peoples. We say amen to that. But the Lord rises upon you. Yes, it's messy. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, it looks too dark. Yes, it looks without hope. But hey, the Lord rises upon you and His glory appears over you. Then you will look and be radiant. Your heart will throb and swell with joy. And I say to that, hallelujah. Because God wants to move in us and God wants to move through us. But He has to move in us first. I want to finish with this. God's out of this world move in you and in me precedes His out of this world move through you and through me. God has to move miraculously in us by bringing us to Himself in intimacy, by giving us value so that we are living in humility and then allowing us to see His miraculous provision and protection so that we can trust His adoring, incredible fatherly heart over us and then we can be a miracle for the people around us when we see a resurrection for the lost. And that's the topic of our next episode. Don't miss it. God bless you. Thank you for being with us. Have an awesome day.